Okay, we're over in Genesis chapter 11, and we have one of those exciting passages today that's mostly lineages and ages and that kind of a thing. And, and honestly, it, it is a little bit exciting if you be patient till we work our way through getting the data on the table. Um, last time we saw God respond to the rebellious, self-centered, arrogant mankind, and he did it with a judgment. It was a judgment of confusion and dispersion. And you know, it's the story of the Tower of Babels, how we typically talk about it. But men had settled in the plain there of Mesopotamia, and here they were, and they decided, we're going to stop here, and we're going to make something of ourselves so that we don't have to be scattered throughout the world, which was what God had commanded. So today, we're going to begin there, and our passage bridges the gap from Babel to Abram to become Abraham. Um, And we see uh, that this time period then leads to God establishing a people and a nation through a faithful servant. But we're going to see the generations that occurred between here and there, between the Tower of Babel and between Abram being established as a faithful servant who would be the father of Israel as a nation and really the father of salvation for the whole world in the sense that Jesus would come out of his lineage as well. So it's a fairly long passage, but we need to read Genesis 11, 10 through 32. Um, Whoever's reading at any given time gets a free pass on names. Um, Let that work however it does. If it's uh, too long, and if you start in and it's too long, you can stop and somebody else will pick it up. So let's get going by reading Genesis chapter 11. Verses 10 through 32. <coughs> Not wanting to push too hard, volunteers aren't exactly falling out of the trees, are they? I'll look at 12, and that, I, I couldn't pronounce half these roots. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered a partridge two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered a partridge, 500 years old. And he had other sons and daughters. When the partridge had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Parshad lived after he fathered Sheila 490 <coughs> years and had other sons and daughters. He fathered Eber and Sheila lived after he fathered Eber 403 years. He had other sons and daughters. When Eber lived 34 years, he had other sons and daughters. Whenever 34 years he fathered Peleg, and Edward lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years, and had other sons and daughters. Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ruth, and David lived after he fathered Ruth 209 years, and had other sons and daughters. But Ruth had lived 32 years. Thirty-two years. 
Thank you. That was a little bit of a pathway through there. Are you all ready for a test on the generations of Shem? <laughs> Isn't it a clear picture now? Well, no, it's, it's a little bit of work. And um, I don't know that uh, I'm going to add a lot by just repeating all that, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through this. Starting in verse 10, we see that these are the records of the generations of Shem. Now, Shem is one of the three sons of, of Noah, and so here he is. And we get this generation. Now, this isn't all the records, right? You didn't get all the kids, because it said every time, and they had other sons and daughters. <coughs> so mostly, and there's an exception in here, but mostly it appears that we're dealing with firstborn sons. And uh, when we get down to Terah, it goes a little bit of a different direction, but we'll, we'll talk about Terah when we, when we get there. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Terah. And so, here's a good question. So why are we looking specifically at Shem? Noah had three sons. Why Shem? These are the easy questions. What's that? The line. But Shem's line is going to lead to what? Israel through Abram and all that. So, so this, is, this is the line that's going to take us uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the nation of Israel that's birthed from Abram and then even to Christ. So at age 100, uh, Arpashad was born. This is two years after the flood. So 
uh, when the flood was over, how old was Shem? 98. And Shem lives 500 years after the birth of Arpashad. And then at age 35, Arpashad fathers Shelah. Shelah, by the way, was a very male name at the time. Um, and he lives another 403 years after that. So we're, we're, we can see as we move through this, uh, the oldest at the point of his fathering, for the most part in this, was Shem. And the rest of them start fathering children at a much younger age. Shelah at age 30 fathers Eber. What's the significance of Eber? Remember what's significant about him? It's where the name Hebrew comes from. That's right. Um, and he lives another 403 years after fathering Eber. And then Eber at age 34 fathers Peleg. What's significant about Peleg? Um, yeah, the Canaanites, but he's not specifically associated with the Canaanites. He's the one that's associated with, because his time was split, they believe that that name means that he probably was alive during the Tower of Babel. So he's the before the confusion and after the confusion. And uh, Eber lives, lives another 430 years after fathering Peleg. And then we see the beginning of a shift a little bit here. Peleg at age 30 fathers Ra'u and lives another 209 years. So the lifespan is starting to decline when we get to Peleg. All the previous ones lived 400 plus after fathering the children, but not so with Peleg. Um, and Peleg is fathering Ru and Reu lives thir at 32 years, father Sarug, and lived another 207 years. So you can see the lifespans are starting to shorten a little bit. Sareg at age 30 fathers Nahor, and Sareg lived another 200 years after that. So we're staying with the gradually, now gradually, but it was a pretty significant decrease there for a bit, time of, of life. So the lifespans are getting a little shorter. And then in verse 24, Nahor at age 29 fathers Terah, and he lives another 119 years after that. So we're beginning to see a significant decline continue in terms of how long these men are living. And then in verse 26 is where we break the pattern, and we'll have to talk about this a little bit. But Terah, at age 70, it says fathers, and it lists three, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. These were not triplets. And so... <coughs> You can find some confusion amongst commentators. I found it very easily about who's the firstborn. And many think, many would say, they start saying, well, Abram was born when Terah was 70. And that's just not so. We can, we can figure that out. So first of all, right here, we know how ter old Terah was when he had his first child, right? How old was he? 70. All right. Let's go look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. Somebody can read that. These markers are terrible. I need to go get some more. Uh, Abraham had told him. And Lot 
punishment the with, with him Abram was seventy five years old and he departed from Haran. Okay, good. So Abram left Haran at age seventy five. That's how old Abram was, right? That's what we got out of that. Go over to Acts chapter 7. Let's read verses 2 through 4. Now this is in the middle of Stephen's speech when he's about when he's egging those Jewish leaders on that are they're going to stone him. Um, clearly he was filled with the Spirit. For multiple reasons, we can have a lot of confidence in what Stephen said here because not only was he filled with the Spirit, but God saw fit to get it put in his word and was recorded. So we can be very confident in what he says. So somebody read Acts 7, verses 2 through 4. And Stephen declared, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And, or Haran, and told him, Leave your country and your kindred, and go to the land I show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran after his father died. God brought him out of that place and into this land where you are now living. So what event coincided, happened at least before, or maybe at the same time, as when Abram left Haran? Terah died, same time. Roughly, at least. Maybe exactly. Okay? So at age 75, both Abram leaves Haran, or Haran, however, and Terah dies. Now we need to go back to our text, and we're going to borrow from the last verse of our text. And in chapter 11, verse uh, 32, let's read that again. Terah <coughs> died age 205. So let's put all of that together real quickly. If, if Terah was 205 when he died, and Abram was 75 when he left Haran, which is when Terah died, at what age was Terah when Abram was born? He was 130. So Abram was born when Terah was 130. Okay? So now if we go back to our text, there in verse 26 of chapter 11, it says... Uh, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran or Haran, however you want to say that. And so here is the question that we don't know. We know a little bit. Was this Abram that was born when Terah was 70? No. Abram was born when Terah was 130. So who was born first? Well, anything that we say will be guesswork. <laughs> But you can look at verse 26 and, and maybe, maybe, maybe get a little bit of a clue. In verse 26, there are three names there, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. 
Which one of those is a repeated name? If you go back up to verse 24 or 23, uh, Nahor, uh, got to turn the page back. Nahor was born to Sarug, right? And so we see the name Nahor first show up. Nahor was related to Terah how? No. Nahor was the son of Terah. Or, or, I'm sorry, Terah was the son of Nahor, right? Nahor lived 29, 29 years and became the father of Terah. So maybe he, he used, apparently reused his own father's name. Often when that occurs, often, we're not saying this is a conclusion, but often when that occurs, that says that's the firstborn son. And so the commentators that picked up on these other facts also kind of pointed toward Nahor as being likely named after his grandfather. And so maybe, maybe Nahor was the firstborn. So um, we, we work our way through all of that. My pages are turning quickly. Uh, and we, we show up, we, we find, up, find out about Nahor, and it's interesting that Nahor, I'm not, we're not going to go into a lot of details, but he gets involved in the lineage of Abram's family again later on in chapter 22 when Abram is looking for a son for Isaac we find Nahor gets involved again. So now let's look at verse 27. In 27, it says, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. So back at the beginning, we're going to put all this together, trust me. Back at the beginning, it said there was the generations of Shem. So we focused on Shem. Now we're going to focus on one of Shem's offspring, through lineage, not direct offspring. These are the ge generations of Terah. So now we're going to spend a little bit of a focus on how we get to Abraham. And um, again, Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We also see in our passage a little later, a town by the name of Haran comes up, or Haran, or however you want to say it. And so it was common that names of towns and names of men were often used. People got named after towns and towns got named after men. We don't know that there's any connection with Haran, but uh, it could be. And we know that happens today, don't we? Do, do towns get named after people? Yeah. Uh, we live in Lyon County, named after a Civil War soldier, if I've got my facts straight. So things like that do indeed, indeed happen. Um, and so in verse 26, we move over to the generations of Terah, and we see that Haran became the father of Lot. Now we have probably, most of us know what's coming in the subsequent chapters to the, this one, and we know Lot's going to be a big player in Abram going over to the land of Canaan, right? So Haran is the father of Lot. In verse 28, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. So now we know for sure where they were living when Haran was born, right? They were land of Ur of the Chaldeans. So, and 
Haran died there, and he died in the presence of his father. What do you think that means? That phrase, he died in the presence of his father. Literally, it means he died in his father's face. That's how they said it. What's that? Yeah, his father was still alive. I mean, it's a fairly simple thing. Um, here's Haran. He is the father of Lot, but he doesn't survive into the ages like the rest of the people here apparently did. And so Terah had the unpleasant task of watching his son die. Don't know how it happened, don't know what in any circumstances, but, but he did die. And they were in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans. I've tried to draw you... A, a map, and I'm going to be direct and say this Babylon stuff. We could start long arguments between many scholars and many archaeologists and so on about Babylon. Um, where I stole this map in terms of looking at it, they say there's Nimrod's Babylon or Nimrod's Babel here. But the Babylon that becomes the center of the Medes and Persian Empire and all that was actually on the other side of the Tigris and the Euphrates. But just to get the lay of the land, we've got the Mediterranean Sea, we've got Canaan, Israel's going to be over in here, we've got Egypt, and not everyone agrees on where Ur is at, but many would tell you it's right up close to the northern edge of the Persian Gulf. So there's Ur, Later in our discussion today, we're going to talk about the trip to Haran. Here's the Euphrates River, and here's the Tigris River, modern-day Iraq, right? So that's the land of Ur, and or at least that's the place we think it likely was. And they've done a lot of excavation there, so that's really actually a pretty likely thing. So Haran died in Ur. And he, but he was the father of Lot. Now, the traditions of the era would seem to be in force here where the oldest son, if his father dies, he becomes the head of the household. He gets two sets of responsibilities. One is he becomes responsible for the family like the father was. The other one is that he also will have offspring to carry on the lineage, so he becomes the lineage guy, and a father would start to t typically treat a grandson this way as actually his son. Abram likely would have treated him like, now we know he was uncle and a nephew, but in how they were treated a lot of times, he would move up the respect level to be treated a lot like a brother. That was fairly typical in this era. So it moves Lot up into a little higher level of responsibility. He's now the head of the house. And he's more like a son to Terah and a brother to Abram. And so this happened in Ur and so on. And we've told you where it is. Now an interesting thing in the excavation of the land of Ur is that clearly, at least the town they are excavating that they think is Ur was a center for moon worship. A lot of moon worship going on there. And... So um, we can also easily find the passages that tell us that Terah was not a believer. He, he, was, he was into other kinds of worship. And so 
we can go back now to verse 29, and it says that Abram and Nahor, these are the two sons of, of um, Terah, took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's life was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the, and we'll, we'll, I'll pick up the rest of that in a minute. So here's Sarai, Abram's wife, and we know she's going to play a big role in what's coming in the subsequent chapters leading up to the birth of Isaac and so on. This word means my princess. So that was her name, was my princess. Late, interestingly, when her name is changed later, Sarai becomes Sarah, and now it just means princess. So it's no longer just a, an owned princess. But Nahor takes the wife of Milcah. Now, we can read the rest of that verse and say that she was the daughter of Haran. But the text is telling us, but it's not the same Haran, because this Haran was the father of Milcah and Ishka. So they're trying to show a different relationship there. And so um, her name, Milcah, actually means queen. So we've got a couple of interesting uh, women's names here. And it's also interesting that the goddess of Ishtar, which is what was being, which was a person being worshipped and had moon worship relationship, had a relationship to the moon worship, um, also was called the goddess of Venus, which was also called the queen of heaven. And we see this come up in uh, Jeremiah when he's, calling out Jerusalem for their idol worship. This is who he says they're worshiping is literally the Milka of heaven. So her name may not be associated with that. We really don't know, but it's interesting. Her name is carried forward in idol worship. Maybe it isn't related to her. So um, these are the wives they took, and then we get an important fact. Sarai was barren. She had no child which in this era was a big deal. Um, it was not, it was considered a curse in many respects to be barren. And so here, here is Abram took a wife and they are unproductive at having an offspring, which also even fits in, you can see why it would be considered unblessed because what did God tell people to do? So what was a part of their culture? Let's go populate the world. Now Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to the, enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. So what are we talking about? Who led this charge? Who was the one that gathered up the people and said, come on, here we go? Terah. Terah. And who did he take? Well... We could make a list of the people, but bottom line, he took Abram and Lot and their families, right? And so away they went uh, to where are they headed? Well, they left Ur, headed for, how far did they get? Haran, or Haran, whatever. So you can see here's Haran, or Haran, and... So they go up the Euphrates River and they stop. Why do they stop? We don't have any idea. We know their intention was the land of Canaan, according to the scriptures. 
but they don't go there. They stop in Haran. There is some speculation. According to what they're seeing on the timing of things, they think about the time that they left, Ur was declining as a city. It had seen its heyday, and it was on the decline. Okay. That's a long time ago, stretching the evidence probably to make some of these things. But one thing that's real clear as they've been excavating Haran is, Haran is a center of worship of the moon. And so there's a lot of feeling or speculation that as they're moving, they come to another place that feels like home. It's the same worship that they were, they were exposed to. Were they moon worshipers? We don't know for sure, but they come from a town full of moon worshipers. They come to another town of moon worshipers, and they stop. And so maybe they just felt like they were at home there, and so that's what they did. And so they went to Tehran and settled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years. Go over to Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. This is Joshua talking about where they have been and so on as a people. And he says this about Terah. I kind of told you this was coming, but... Somebody read Joshua, I forgot, 24 2, is that what it says? <laughs> Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshiped other gods. So, Terah and the fathers worshiped what? Other gods. So, they weren't exactly God followers, were they? And they made it pretty clear. I hope these two handouts are helpful. Um, and I'll explain to them to you. We'll go over them here in just a minute. go back and take a look at this. Somebody asked a question. Um, as I recall, um, it looks like it because he isn't mentioned. So that would be, be my guess. I, I want to start out looking at the typewritten page. The, the back page of this is to help let you get a visual look at this. I really I tried lots of different things trying to get this so we could talk about it today. But this back page, obviously I didn't generate this. Um, I found it somewhere where it was like, hey, if you want to copy this, have a blast. So I did. And um, you can see 
when the children were born and some things on the back and you, and you can start to pick some stuff out but I actually found it easier for me personally so that's how I'm going to talk about it for a minute to look at this page and what I did was my timeline starts with the flood being year zero so I'm looking at years after the flood and if you work your way down through here we start out seeing many children born from subsequent fathers um, starting two years after the flood we get our Arpashad, and then at year 37 we have Sheila. At year 67 we have Eber being born. 101 is Peleg. Each of these is another generation. Uh, year 131 we have Reu. Uh, 163 we have Serog. 193 we have Naor. 222 we have Terra. And then 292 we have the firstborn of Terra, which I'm guessing might be Nahor. So we have gone 292 years. We've had no deaths yet of these people in the lineage. At year 340, the first of these children, or Shem included as well, it dies at age 239. One of the later borns is one of the first to die because they had shorter lifespans. And in year 341, Nahor dies at 148. And then year 350, Noah dies at 950. Noah was still alive all the way through these births. The only one that he was not alive for of the births mentioned in this lineage was Abram. And maybe Abram's brother. We don't know. Was Abram the last child, the youngest, the middle? We just know he wasn't the oldest. And I just find that really fascinating that amongst this lineage we have no deaths for 340 years. It's in the 340th year we have the first death of these generational people. And Noah's still alive um, in, in that mix until we get to just before the birth of Abram. And then, you know, we go through the, the deaths. Um, Rehu dies at 370, Sarek dies at 393, Terah dies at 427, Arpashad dies at 440, Sheila dies at 470, and at 502, Shem dies. Shem lived through all of these births and many of the deaths of these people. The only one that was still alive when Shem died was Eber, outside of Abram. Because I put down every one of them when it said he lived this many years afterwards. I put down, I figured, went down, did the math, figured out what year after the flood that would turn out to be. Can you imagine, now, there's a lot, we, there's so much we don't know. What was it like to live in this era? How did information travel? What did uh, Shem have access to for information about what was going on with his generations that were coming behind him? Was he living up close to the ark and all these people were a countryside away? We don't know. But can you imagine some of the conversations that they were having? Even, even without Shem being there. I mean, let's look back at our own history a little bit. What year did the, and I don't know the answer. I'm just going to ask the question and somebody will say something and we'll just believe them. What year, what year did the Mayflower come across with settlers? 1492, how many years ago was that? No, that was Columbus. I know that date. 
You got to use a date I don't know what it really is if you're going to try to fool me with it. 1612. 1612? I think. About how many years ago would that have been? <laughs> Good. 400. Now, about. So if we look through this, now we're looking at 531 years, but if you go down through 400, um, you know, you're just seeing some of these folks die. Um, Abram was born in 352. So now if some of you, communications wasn't that different at the time the Mayflower came over us here, was it? I mean, they had ships, they sailed the ocean, but they didn't have telephones. Okay. Now, if anybody here, is there anybody here that has a descendant that was on the Mayflower? Well, how do you know? Are you sure? Yeah, we'd probably be sure, wouldn't we? If we had a descendant on the Mayflower, wouldn't that information have continued on down through? I mean, it's not that hard to keep track of some of that kind of stuff, is it? And so we have a pretty good idea that, you know, these, these things make sense that people would know. Shem's a big deal. He's one of the three sons that survived. He's the one that is the recipient of the greatest blessing when Noah is cursing Canaan and blessing the other two um, descendant trains. And Shem is clearly the one that Noah says, let him be blessed. So they're, they're, they're keeping track of what's going on. They know who belongs to who. And they can even see it being lived out as they settle in the various areas that they are settling in. So I just found this just utterly fascinating when you put this together on a timeline. Now you can see it more visually on the back page, which is kind of nice, but some of those facts don't, don't jump out at you as quickly when you're looking at this as when you look at births and deaths and the events on a timeline like I put on the first page. And so we, we can see that uh, Noah um, lived a long time, 950 years. You can see the ages of people diminish. Once we get past Eber, people are just living a mere 200 years. And clearly it has continued to decrease over time um, and so there we are and and by the way this one's pretty good you know when you start looking stuff up, oh I need to tell you this if you were to look at um, certain translations and I don't remember which one you're going to find another person in this lineage. And so what, what about that? Where did it come from? Well, it looks like um, it came out of the Septuagint. Do you all know what the Septuagint is? The Septuagint was a Greek translation of basically the Old Testament. That's close. And so a lot of the scholars would work in Greek, even the Jewish scholars. And so the Septuagint was a pretty big deal. It was a Greek place to go to find out, um, you know, what was, they would study from it like it was a big deal. The Septuagint has another name in the lineage, but you don't find it in the Hebrew. Um, I did not write down the name, so I can't tell you what it is, but it looks like it's got Canaan in it. 
And so there's a there's a little bit of a of a another name in there that you might uh, you might run across depending upon where you would look. One of the things in in the earliest writings that we can find, you know, Jews, the, the the Hebrew people at the time of Jesus and before, had their own scholarly people that wrote their own commentaries, and they were very serious about their Old Testament. What they didn't call it Old Testament, but about what was written in the Bible, and in those commentaries universally they considered when they were looking at this lineage it was considered accurate correct believable I mean it wasn't some made-up thing to explain how we get from Babel to Abram they viewed it as right on truthful correct and dependable and that's helpful to us as others might try to take us in other directions and so as, as we look at this heritage, it's not at all a stretch to believe that the descendants of Shem knew how they got to where they were. They knew which one of these descendants they could trace back through and where they fit into that. That's, that's just not a stretch. As we continue to look at things, then, um, you know, in our lifetimes, as we watch things go by, uh, we know things are, are true and accurate in a certain way, and these folks did as well, and this was a big deal to them. Remember what's about to happen. Moses is writing the book of Genesis. It's completed probably just shortly before the people moved into the promised land under Joshua. And so for the same reasons as some of the other things we've talked about, this takes on some real significance. Who are we, these people about to go into the promised land? And one thing that's very clear is, uh, as God reveals through, Noah, through Moses, the time up to the flood, people are evil and terrible, and there just isn't hardly a redeeming person to be found. We find God considers Noah righteous, and so works through Noah, and makes, lets Noah be a faithful servant, and his three sons and their wives are saved. After the flood, the same story repeats. There are not faithful people. Abram was a son-in-law of a pagan. And Abram himself is called out as being a pagan worshiper prior to God interacting with him to call him over to Canaan, a land that I will show you. And so the history is continuing to be painted for these people about to go into the promised land that mankind's history is pretty terrible. Basically, God created them and they just simply rebelled. A few exceptions, but not many. And the few that we have, God comes to Abraham, God comes to Noah. And so now here they are with this lineage coming up to Abram. Now they're going to study, they're going to get the history from Moses of what happened from Abram to the time of the Exodus. And we're going to see Abram as a bright light and who is one that's going to receive the promises of being a father of many nations or of, many, of, the, of them as a nation of many people. And so here they are, the nation 
as the descendant of Abram getting ready to go in the promised land, the message starts to be fairly clear. Don't be so stupid, foolish, arrogant, self-centered, ignorant as to repeat the mistakes of so many of your forefathers. And of course, what are they going to do? They're going to start strong and finish weak. I mean, that's just, just what mankind seems to be doing. And so as we look at the world around us today, you see the same thing. And the world is not, in general, going in a good direction. The world continues to be rebellious to God to suppress the truth and unrighteousness and continues to store up for itself the wrath of God in Romans 1. So um, to me, this was, this was very interesting to, to think about Seth and his offspring and how so many of them were alive at the same time. Don't know if they had a chance to interact, but it's easy to imagine some conversations that were interesting particularly when you have someone who lived through the flood on the ark still alive just a couple years before Abram is born. What a testimony that seems to be ignored. Questions, comments? I have one on the, on the second page. Oh, boy. Okay. Isaac was born only 43 years line that says 43 years. Uh, Noah died at nine at uh, yeah he, he was 950 at the time he died and so I don't I mean that's believable but no it's not that won't work because Abram was over a hundred when every every one of these I found I would run into something like this if I could think of it I didn't think of that question but this one did pretty good on the previous year, so I said, okay, I can copy that one. But you read into something because um, Noah died two years before Abram was born. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Noah died in a at 350. Abram was born at 352, yeah. Noah died two years before Abram was born. Oh, that's why. They lost 50 years in there. So many of them did that, and it's just pretty clear if you read a few of the verses that it just doesn't work. But, uh, okay, so they lost. So then it would have been 93 years, but still not enough because Abram and Sarah were both over 100 when Isaac was born. This isn't, timeline isn't to scale. So very bottom line. That's true. Very bottom line. Yeah, but see, they're saying from Noah to Isaac. And so it looks like they were trying to line that up and say it was 43 years between Noah and Isaac, and it just doesn't work. So just take this as a helpful visual. I'm sorry. I, if I'd have caught that, I probably wouldn't have used this one either. But I, I caught some others and other ones, you know, and it just didn't take very long to, to figure out, oh, that's not right. Oh, that's not right. Uh, one of them that... I borrowed a lot from, and I used that one to self-check this page, and I'm like, oh boy, we're agreeing, we're agreeing, we're agreeing, and then I found where he made a, just a crazy math error. He had all the right data down, but added it up wrong, so I went, okay, well, so then I was back on my own again a little bit, and you may find errors that I made. It, it amazed me. Um, I'm pretty good with math, and all I'm doing is adding. 
And it amazed me how many times I had to try to work my way through this and I'd still find mistakes. So if you find some mistakes, particularly in the age of the men at which they die, that's where I think you might find some mistakes. But yeah. Okay. Well, so here's the difference. Um, they said, so let's look at this. Do they start with zero? But see, they don't start with the flood at zero. And Shem was 602. He was 98 at the flood. Oh, so I messed that up. Oh, it was year 502 at age 600. Okay. That, that, I, I have his age wrong. Okay. He's the only one on here except for Noah that predated the flood, and I skipped his pre-flood years. That's where I went wrong. See, you're going to find, you'll find some more mistakes. So I gave you a puzzle to go, to go study to help cement this in your brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he brought his wife with him. It was two years after the flood that um, he gave birth to Shem. Well, I guess we hit the time fairly close. This is about what I've got. So let me close with a word of prayer. Father, um, we thank you for the careful history you gave us. Uh, Lord, we know as we read this that you are a dependable God and you give us dependable information. Uh, and Lord... <laughs> I've even demonstrated how we can take the very clear things and make the simplest of errors and get confused. Lord, lead us into truth, not confusion. Uh, lead us into an understanding of your righteousness and your plan for this world as we continue to study through the book of Genesis. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your plan of redemption for mankind and, and the Bible that shows us that's been your work with us since the beginning of time. And so thank you for the great blessings that are to come. Thank you for the blessings you've already brought to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.